Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. For podcasting. The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. All right, welcome back. Hour number two, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Going to go in the way back machine. Back, what, 35 years or so, 85, yes. 86. Uh, Iowa State men's basketball team, Johnny Orr's squad. Uh, as we take a look, Roshan Corporation sponsors some of the more memorable teams. This one's going way back. Trent was six. I was in Canada. Do you remember seeing a game? No, I don't think don't. so. I don't think so. I remember... A little bit of that football season because the Bears won the Super Bowl. That's how I became a Bears fan <laughs> right. uh, during 85-86. I remember a little Iowa football. Don't remember much Iowa State basketball from that year, but quite the run to the Sweet 16. Mm-hmm. And, well, an alum of Iowa State University set to join us right now, but he doesn't remember it because he wasn't even around. Chris Cuellar <laughs> from the Iowa High School Athletic Association. Mr. Cuellar, good to talk to you again. How are you? Thanks for having me on, Trent. That's quite a lead-in. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a long way to get to you, but uh, but here we are, Chris. Uh, good to talk to you. I know that you uh, your group had a um, uh, a meeting yesterday regarding what's going to happen this fall. Um, I'm not sure if you if there are any uh, conclusions that came out of that meeting, but let's start with football. We had Gary Swenson on earlier in the week, and you know they obviously everybody wants to play. Everybody wants to play. Um, and they won't do it the Valley way. They won't do it the Yankee way. They're going to follow, you know, the lead. But what did uh, what uh, what came out of yesterday's meeting? We'll start with football regarding football, if anything. Yeah, and I know Trent wanted to talk to me yes during yesterday's show, but uh, it was a, it was a pretty important little powwow. Even though mm-hmm. I don't have too many definitives for you guys, what I can say is that I mean I think. The last time I was on, I think I said uh, that, you know, we were still planning on, you know, starting, but it's a little hesitant and, it, there, you know, there's still hesitation and caution here, but um, it, it, we are, for all intents and purposes, planning for that August 10 and, and planning for fall sports to happen this fall. Um, so there is a lot of guidance that we need to work on. Nothing much has changed because if new news comes out that, that changes what we're doing, um, you know, that that's still going to take precedent over anything I say right now. Um, but, sure. um, we're, we're working, we're working towards making fall sports happen for fall kids, um, in, in the next few weeks. It feels in order to have, and especially football, I know cross country also a sport. You have fall golf for the big schools, but when we're talking about football, what is currently in place for the baseball side of things, what was put in place where a positive test, how that works out, feels like it would have to change because football is such a contact sport, shutting it down. It's one thing to take away a couple of games for a week, week and a half on the baseball side. Completely different circumstances for football. How different do you think the return to play for these different teams when a positive case comes up? How different will it look or will it look different from what we have right now for baseball? 
That's a great question, Trent. Um, at this time, it seems like it's still going to be county determination. Mm. So I, I don't know how much, uh, you know, every listener knows about this, but the Athletic Association who is withdrawn and who isn't. Uh, the Iowa Department of Public Health has um, given that responsibility to the local level. So county departments, county public health departments are the ones in contact with school districts and schools to make these determinations. So um, we have seen a little bit of variance over the last couple of weeks. I know somewhat controversially, obviously, mm-hmm. um, but it seems like at this time that it is still going to be county determinations. Um, you know, we can do our part to try and implement some kind of statewide standards, but um, we don't have any public health, public health experts here on staff at the Athletic Association, so I can't say uh, as the communications guy when someone is you know cleared to come back or, or, or should be sitting out, but um, we're going to try and provide the best tools statewide that we can. Um, I, I just don't know how much of that variance you're going to get out of there because our state approach from from state government has been a county approach. Now, if you were asked if that's the right way to do it, if the governor or uh, they came to you and asked you for your guidance in this, wouldn't you say that it would be better for everybody to be, you know, playing by the same rules? You mentioned the the controversy with with Helan last week. I mean, it's done one way here for everybody, but depending on where your county is, you play by a different set of rules. That almost doesn't seem competition competitively uh, the best way to go about this. That can't make you guys real pleased it does it i understand how it can seem unfair um and maybe that's the that's the best way to phrase it especially in in the short-term view is is that um my team is out because of a positive test and another team is is still playing because of a positive test and and uh you know inside that dugout i'm sure that that absolutely seems unfair um i just it is a county approach so we are getting county results um, and that, that's maybe the clearest way I can say that is that I, I understand there's there's a wish to have a statewide mm-hmm. you know mandate or statewide one size fits all solution, but um, you know we're we're the or the sports organization can unfortunately yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can't make all those calls. So. Chris Quayer joining us from the Iowa High School Athletic Association. Uh, some logistical things as we get ready. It's already begun for Class 1A and 2A. 3 and 4, we will get started for the baseball, the run to the state tournament in Principal Park. And one of the first questions I've had, you look at the bracket in 4A and you see Ankeny. They have basically a bye now to the, sub, uh, to the sub-state final. They'll have to one, win one game to get there. But in the interim, another positive case comes up where a team wins a game and then finds out they have a positive and not going to be able to play the later game. How is that going to play out before we even get to the state tournament? And then well, I got another question for you on the state tournament. But in the interim here, on the path, <laughs> how does it play out in the bracketing for districts and sub-states? Yeah, uh, we, we had to outline that stuff a handful of weeks ago just so that schools knew what rules they were playing by once the postseason started. And uh, once you lose, you are out. So um, a team would advance, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's a team who has a positive test that no one's taking their spot or filling them in. Gotcha. So if, if a team won their first round game and then lost in the second round, that, that's just a gap. Um, so we've, we've had to implement a handful of buys. I think the most recent case we had of that now is um, Northwood Kensett in class one, a, they were the top seeded team in their district and they won their first round game. And then uh, they are not able to play in their second round game. So uh, that's just, it's an empty spot, unfortunately. Okay, so same kind of question here, but we get to the state tournament. Team advances, 
they find out that they're not going to be able to play? Does it become then a seven-team bracket? And do you adjust the seeding at all? Or say it's a number one seed in whatever class, the number eight seed advanced to the next round. How does that play out when we're just talking about the state tournament? Yeah, so as far as the bye goes, it would, it would still be a bye. Um, how we've handled it in district and sub-states is that um, if the positive test comes up before the seeding has been published, we, we can slide that up so okay. everybody moves up a spot. So you've seen that in a couple of, like, in Class 4A, for instance, we have six teams in a single, you know, bracket, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. um, and, and then we just slide that up to, to five. Uh, but once the, once the games are underway and, and once we've uh, published those things, I guess uh, the seeding has stayed the same, just for consistency's sake. Hmm. I want to go back to football uh, with, with you, Chris. Uh, will you put out guidelines, and, and can you put out guidelines, as to how you would like to see schools go about pra- a practice week? Because obviously it's going to be different, right? At least you would assume that it's going to be different. Can you put out recommendations or guidelines that you have to adhere of as how you want to see teams go through their week of practice, maybe limiting yeah. contact-wise? That is a big emphatic yes, and that's what our schools are depending on us for. Gotcha. Um, I mean, we need to we, – we have – that is guidance that we, we have to issue um, regardless of what comes – uh, or or doesn't come in this case uh, from uh, you know other health guidance. We mm-hmm. have to issue sports specific safety health and safety guidance, um, and and that stuff needs to come out if we're going to plan on that August tenth uh, start date. That stuff needs to come out in the next couple weeks so that uh, coaches and schools have a chance to plan. Well, just the schools get that, or will will that be public uh, p- publicly available? Uh, that's yeah, that's all published. We, gotcha. we we make that all available. We've got a COVID nineteen resource center page on our website. Like I know a lot of organizations do, but I, I would encourage any fan who has questions or anybody who's interested in the, in these events who has questions on this. We have pages and pages of of information and links um, that can kind of give you a little bit of insight into you know the 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 whale that we're trying to swallow hmm. here uh, <laughs> uh, as as we go through this. Hmm. Uh, during your all hands on deck meeting yesterday, Chris. Did uh, did start and stop of the football season? Did was it brought up? I mean, can you extend? I guess I know when the uh, the state championship usually is. It's the week. Uh, it's the Friday, uh, uh, for at least for four A, leading um, the next week, the week before Thanksgiving. Can you extend sure. it if you need to stop in the middle of the season due to this? Has that was that discussed at all? Flexibility is the name of the game. Good. Um, so I, I, yeah, I, I don't know that uh, you know we're just <laughs> obviously what on the schedule right now. If you, if you went to our website or, or looked in any printed calendar, it would say here's week one, here's mm-hmm. week two, here's week three, here's when the playoffs start, all those kinds of things. And and I, I mean, realistically, we, we need to be flexible with that, and we need to provide a, a schedule that is uh, maybe a little more localized and and likely. Uh, shorter or flexible for for what our schools need. Um, I, I just don't know, based on what we have learned from our baseball season, if we can just plow ahead with nine games as they're scheduled and playoffs as they're scheduled, uh, it you know, in, inflexibly. Um, so it, we we need to create some solutions to to work for that. So the the uh, the nine opponents that you that schools currently have on their schedule could they potentially change? We'll see. Um, we haven't we haven't sorted out that level of detail yet okay. um, because that that's kind of the that's kind of the last step when it comes to you know uh, our scheduling as, as far as what we're going to announce. Um, but uh, 
yeah, it's 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 a possibility, like a lot of things. <laughs> mm-hmm. So let's say a team uh, is has to have two games where they don't play. Do those games become forfeits? Do they just go as a non-compete? How does that work in the football structure of things? And you got a team that's sitting there. Well, they actually played seven games and they were six and one, but they had two forfeits and they're six and three, and now they're out of the playoffs. How is that going to play out? Do you mean in terms of, of like a COVID test? Yes. That that's why they're sitting out? Yep. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, we just haven't sorted through all that because okay. football is the one sport that we schedule. Um, so mm-hmm. so literally every other sport that we operate, um, local schools set their or conferences set their own schedules. Um, and football is the one that we tell schools what they're going to schedule um, or who they're going to play uh, week to week. So um, it's up to us in whatever guidance that we issue to come up with solutions for that. So, a uh, final thing for you, uh, I saw it mentioned, I believe, a week ago, the times for the state tournament have changed around a little bit, trying to put a little bit more leeway in between the games and obviously be able to clean services and those types of things. What, 10.30, 1.30, 4.30, start times as we start up uh, a week from Saturday with Class 1A and going into the final week. Is that going to be the start times every day for the state tournament games? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, so we've got three hours between games now, um, and you know we should be announcing some adjustments to the ticketing procedure. If you read that schedule sheet, Trent, you saw that we're uh, unfortunately going to have to clean out the facility or, or clear the facility after every single game. Um, in the past, sessions included multiple games, and you know you could theoretically watch multiple championship games on on one ticket, but. Um, for purposes of the facility and the, and the fact that we are going to have to go to reserved seating throughout Principal Park because of the way it's all set up, oh, sure. um, it's going to be uh, different different game to game. So uh, definitely a different state tournament environment this year. But I guess that uh, that that fits the situation. Good stuff. Uh, thank you very much for coming on, Chris Quayar. We appreciate it as always. I'm sure we will talk uh, prior to August the 10th. You said was well, so that that's the. I mean, schools have to know by then. When do you think you'll get those guidelines out? Do you have a target date? No, 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 no set target date, but uh, within the next few weeks, if, the, if that's if that August tenth is what we're planning on. So, uh, as always with COVID nineteen, it's it's flashing red lights, subject to change. But yep. um, that's that, that's our plan for now. Good stuff. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. Yes, thanks, guys. Take good, care. Yeah, good to talk to you, Chris Quayar. Informative. A lot of information. A lot there. of information. They got a lot of uh, balls up in the air right now, mm-hmm. trying to figure this out. Some flexibility regarding high school football. Determined to play. Um, maybe may have to push back even the state uh, the playoffs, mm-hmm. and then the availability of the Unidome. Mm-hmm. How does that work out? I mean, say you and I's got in the playoffs, and they got a home first, second, quarterfinal round game in the dome. Well, all of a sudden, you're playing these games on Tuesday, Wednesday. Have to go that route. I mean, there, there's a lot of logistics because they things. could play Friday night. You and I, correct? Yes, they could. They could. Yeah, yeah they could. Um, they have in the past. I'm mm-hmm. not sure they've been home. I think they were, Montana maybe was a Friday. Something. They were. I, that was a yeah. big game. I remember. Anyways, uh, good information there from Chris Cuellar. Bound and determined to get fall sports in, which is good. Um, but as always, COVID's in charge. It is. We're not Chris Cuellar. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, Chris, boy, he does such a good job over there, and he does. I'm excited to get down to Principal Park and you know see the media people. I only get to see at state tournaments, and we're talking about Jeff Johnson six the other feet day. away from them. Yeah, and, and that's going to be the different part is those conversations that you have, and you're sitting there and talking to the guys from Eastern Iowa, talking to the guys from Western Iowa. What's going on over there? Just going to be completely different than what you're used well, to. Well, speaking of completely different, how? I, 
Doesn't it seem like there should be one rule, that one size fits all for the state when it comes yeah. to athletics like that? I mean, come on, that's just unfair. And, and I wonder now, after what happened with uh, with Bishop Heal up in Sioux yeah, City. How does Dowling feel? Right. Does that make Polk County and Dallas County kind of reconfigure the way they're yeah, thinking? You wonder, right? And say, boy, does it make sense if there's something on one side? Mm-hmm. Because it kind of goes hand in hand. If there's a volleyball case, does that mean that a kid's out? And when school's back in session... Somebody in their science class, oh, you know, there's mm-hmm. a kid in biology that mm-hmm. I sit next to. Mm-hmm. Does that mean the whole team shut down? <sighs> yeah. Wait for the guidelines. <laughs> right. Uh, Eric Heft will join us. We're going to go way back. Have you got some highlights from 85, 86? I do. I got a, a handful of highlights from that season. Do you? A, a fun one. And, well, in fact, Eric Heft on the call for one of those good, highlights. Good. Well, Eric's going to carry this next segment yes, as yes. Uh, Trent was six and I was in Canada and know nothing about the 85-86. Uh, so we will uh, get into that as we Roshan Corporation sponsors a look back at some of the more memorable teams uh, in the state of Iowa. Right now, KXNO and iHeart want to help you pay your bills. Text the keyword LOVE to 200-200 right now. It's your chance to win $1,000. LOVE to 200-200. You'll get a conference. Information, text, and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. All right, Miller and Condon, come back after this with Eric Heff. We take you until noon. It's Des Moines Sports Station, 1460. KXNO and 106.8. Bill Reichart, Golf Classic. Ken Miller, Trent Condon. Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. This is the number one song in what, 86 or 85? 1986, February of 1986 for three weeks. Dion Warwick. Yeah, I've never, I was never a fan. That's what friends are for. Indeed. Well, Eric Heft is uh, going to have a sore back after this segment because he's about to carry the two hosts. Uh, through as we go back in the way back machine as we've been looking at some of the more memorable teams to play in our state uh, we're going all the way back to the 85-86 Iowa State men's basketball program a team that made it to the Sweet 16 under coach Johnny or Eric Heft I'm gonna make him sound old he was on the microphone for crying out loud you've been doing this for a long time Heft how are you I am A-OK, thank goodness. <laughs> Indeed. I mean, before we get into that team, just real quick, uh, The Athletic wrote a really good piece on the state of the program, uh, Steve Probst's program. I'm not sure you saw it. It came out earlier I in did. the week. It was a really good read, I thought. Man, you know what? There's, um, you know, is, is maybe a uh, great unknown how good this team was going to be if the NCAA does what they should, and particularly in Blake Hinson's case, uh, right. with, when, when he left Old Miss, and obviously you want Tyler Harris too. If they get, if they, both of these guys get eligibility instantly or in time for this season, this changes the, I think, the dynamic of this team in a major way. I think so. I mean, there are obviously a lot of, uh, questions to be answered for sure <clears throat> i mean if you're counting on uh freshmen to come in and contribute and i think it's a really good class but can they make that step if tyler you know and blake 
don't get that immediate eligibility. I mean, it, it, it changes the dynamic, and you, you don't really know. I mean, how good is, is Xavier Foster going to be able mm-hmm. to play and contribute at this level? Dudley Blackwell, uh, you know, uh, Dubar. I mean, I think he's a really talented guy, too. I think he could be the sleeper of the class. Dubar could but, be? Uh, I think he might okay, be. Okay, yeah. But – but I don't know that for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the whole thing. Nobody really knows a lot of these answers right now. But if you get experienced players in and they're immediately eligible, then it's a matter of putting the pieces together and having the chemistry be the way it needs to be. Certainly maybe improved over a year ago and willingness and ability to, to be solid defensively, game in, game out. I mean, Last year's team had some really good defensive games, but it was not a strength overall because mm-hmm. of the lack of consistency from game to game and how well they guarded. So uh, just got to find a way to get the pieces put together yep. and uh, find guys that can make shots beyond the arc because I think that's that's a question mark right now, and I, and I think Tyler would really help that. Yeah, no doubt. Um yeah, I thought defensively the team got better as the year went on last year. Do you remember, Eric, last year or two years ago, the SEC Big 12 Challenge? Of course, the team was in Oxford uh, to play Old Miss. I don't remember Blake Henson. I looked at the box score and he made an impact on, on the basketball right. game. Do you remember his game against Iowa State a couple of years ago in January? No, he was kind of an unknown to me going into the okay. game. They had a couple of really good players, you know, and I thought Iowa State did a great job on them. Uh, but to be honest, no, I don't have great memory of that. But uh, but I, sh- I like a guy that's played major college basketball oh, for, sure. for two years coming in with the length. I mean, that's one of the things, Steve, we talked about you know, off the air and even on the air. Is the t- year, that team a couple of years ago, the length they had, you know, one through four, you know, where everybody's 6'5", long, and able to really disrupt things defensively when they really got after it. You know, kind of missed that last year. So another long athletic wing, uh, man, sign me up for a whole boatload mm-hmm. of those guys. And if you look at the recruiting class that, that Steve signed, I think you can see, I mean, all these guys are in that mold, you know, the, uh, that six five, six six guy who can play multiple positions and guard multiple positions. Well, Eric, we're looking forward with next year's basketball team, but today we're also going to look back, and this is an era – we remember, obviously, Ken and I being on the air for as long as we have no the teams of the Floyd days and into what we've seen in this recent run out of Iowa State basketball. This is a time period, though, Johnny Orr building the program up, getting them to the NCAA tournament for the first time in 40 years, and then the year after to the Sweet 16 and their first wins in 41 seasons in the big dance. Take us back to the mid-'80s as Johnny's building this program up and just the excitement that was building in Ames after not seeing this level of basketball in a long time? You know, it, it was a, a fun time. I mean, number one, when you around Johnny Orr a lot, uh, as I was personally, but just from a fan standpoint, too, the excitement that he brought uh, kind of rekindled that interest. And then, you know, two years prior to that 86 season, you make the NIT for the first time ever, you know, and he, and then the next year you make the tournament. You lose in the first round, and you're hoping, is there going to be some kind of natural progression here? Uh, but it was a team that had good players, and I think that's number one. I mean, Jeff Greer, you know, all-time leading scorer at Iowa State. Jeff Hornacek, uh, you know, long-time NBA star, NBA all-star. Mm-hmm. Good players, you know, and 
Hornacek uh, was the guy that could really drive that team. But it was exciting. I'll be honest. It was you know when you're on the way up and you're hoping for more. As long as you're getting it, those are the, probably the most enjoyable times. You know, you can talk about, hey, we've maintained this for a long time, and that's always fun. But that trip up the ladder mm. is probably the most exhilarating, and that certainly was it. And I'll tell you what, I think my favorite Iowa State win of all time was the win over Michigan uh, to get to the Sweet 16. I mean, just for so many reasons. And number one for Johnny Orr, mm-hmm. uh, the winningest coach in Michigan history, uh, and then he has a chance to play uh, number five team in the country in the NCAA tournament, coaching against the guy who succeeded him, his <laughs> former assistant, Bill Frieder. Uh, the joy I felt in getting that sweet 16 for the, you know, and, and having beaten Miami in the opener, too, which was no cakewalk. Uh, it was it was so exhilarating, so, so thrilled for Coach Orr. I, I don't know I ever enjoyed a win more than that. Interesting. You know, I'm sure that, uh, you know, you guys traveling on the road or, or staying overnight or, you know, prior to a game, you get there the night before, whether you're sitting, you know, in the hotel bar or in the lobby or something or in the summertime, the 19th hole with Coach Orr. Uh, it has to be some amazing stories. I'd love to go back and to hear some of those, uh, some of those times where, you know, it's you and Coach Orr, whoever's at the table, uh, just being entertained. Well, a couple of my favorite people of all time, Pete Taylor and Johnny. Yeah. We had many dinners together, maybe a bump or two. <laughs> uh, and, and some incredible, incredible stories, many of which I can't, re- I couldn't <laughs> tell. But it, he he was a guy that was uh, positive to be around, but he was funny invariably. And but some of the stories he told about some of his days at Michigan, even going back to his days when he was head coach at UMass, uh, incredible stories. Uh, and it was it was a different era in that you know we flew commercial back then, uh, and so things were a little different than uh, maybe a little more difficult than they, than they are today for sure. Uh, but Johnny, uh, one of the things uh, Johnny cultivated in me, I love to cook. I mean, it's one mm. of my favorite things to do. And I was never that into food at all, but we'd go out, and Johnny would always go. We went to a great place. No matter where we were, he would find the best place. And we would go, and that's what kind of piqued my interest in in the culinary arts, if you will. Not that I'm an artist at all, but uh, Johnny always loved to eat and have a a little martini and uh, and, and regale stories and uh, formative for me, for sure. I mean, I wasn't, even though I was in my 30s at the time, it was still very formative for me just to be around a legend like Johnny. We've, uh, obviously, I remember Jeff Hornacek. I, I think a lot of people listening do as an NBA player. That combo guard, t- tall point guard at times, but when he got to Utah, well, he's playing two guard because he had an all-timer next to him in John Stockton. Pretty good. Looking at him statistically, though, in college, I was very surprised to see him average nearly seven assists a game during his senior year. Tell us about Jeff Hornacek, the college basketball player. Uh, point guard. Uh, really a point guard. Not a great shooter, to be honest. Really? Uh, he, was a, he was a guy who, who could make shots, but that really was not his strength. I mean, his strength, uh, his strength was ability to see the court uh, to know where everybody was at all times and never get flustered by pressure. And he could always find the open man. A terrific point guard. I thought he had a chance to play in the NBA uh, as maybe a guy who would be a backup point guard for a while. Uh, 
he had a shot in college. He actually had side spin on it. Uh, and you wouldn't believe it if you saw him play in the NBA, What one of the great shooters in NBA history. Uh, but they tried to get him to change it, and he he was he also very stubborn, <laughs> strong-willed, and he would never change it. And then he got drafted by Phoenix. They said, you got to change your shot. And he said, okay. <laughs> and the rest is history. I mean, you look at his one of the top free-throw shooters of all time in NBA, one of the top three-point shooters in NBA history, a guy who uh, it was pre-three-point era in college basketball when he played. He just missed it by a year. But he wouldn't have been a terrific three-point shooter. But he was a terrific winner. Uh, great help defender. Maybe not a great – kind of like – Tyrese Halliburton, if you will, and that not a, a terrific on-ball defender, but understood the spacing of the court and how to play team defense. Great team defender. A terrific player, though. Eric, uh, how about another a couple of other names on that roster that maybe played secondary roles who were – uh, you know, couldn't have uh, got as far as they did the, the beating. What did you say, Miami in the in the first mm-hmm. round? Was that what the, did I read? That was Ron a, Harper, Ron Harper's team. Yeah, wow. How about that? Portisek hit the Ron game Harper, winner. Ron Harper missed a missed a jumper uh, in overtime from the corner that would have won it. Isn't that something? Uh, Hornacek makes a thirty five footer <laughs> uh, at the. <laughs> I mean. Uh, to give Iowa State a chance in the game. It was incredible. Hmm. Then on to Michigan before losing to NC State. But a couple of other guys on that roster that, that played big roles, Eric. As to, you know, we, we remember, obviously, the two NBA. LaFesta Rose is on that team. Give us a couple of names that, uh, that had a big impact uh, from time to time that season. LaFesta didn't really play that year. I mean, he, he, he didn't really come on to, actually to, for, until two years later. But Sam Hill was the center. Okay. Uh, he was a guy who could make a 15-footer, uh, not the quickest guy, but he had the left-handed hook shot, uh, averaged almost 10 points, seven rebounds a game. And Gary Tompkins was a guy who actually could play point guard, too. Gary and Jeff kind of shared that point guard responsibility. Uh, and, of course, Gary passed away a few years ago. But what a good player he was, too. And he was a terrific defender. People talk about Orr's teams not being great defensively. And at times that was true. But Jeff Greer and Gary Tompkins, Two guys that came in together from Michigan uh, were terrific defenders, and I think that was one of the things that helped get them over the hump. And you got to mention Ron Virgil. Ron Virgil, six four, probably one hundred and sixty pounds. Wow. He was guarding Roy Tarpley in that <laughs> Michigan game, Jeez. and I remember uh, I can't remember who was doing the play by play, but they said it's like the men against the boys, yeah. uh, and and yet Virgil held his own. He was a good player, a really good player on that team, and one. That I think it's forgotten, but he he has been he was a, a great contributor. Eric Heff joining us as we look back, 1985-86 Iowa State basketball team. They go to the Sweet 16. It's presented by Roshan Corporation. So take us through this run. You get to go to Minneapolis, short right. drive, Iowa State fans, the excitement there. And then the Sweet 16 is played in Kemker. Perfect. You talk about building yeah. it up and the way the fan base certainly was building right. during that time. Take us to those two destinations and just uh, how rabid. I'm sure we talk about Hilton Magic today and, and the Cyclone fans, the way they travel. I'm sure it was crazy back in the 80s, too. Well, it was. I mean, that, and that was really kind of the birth of it all. But mm. you go back to, uh, you know, and that, that four teams in the Sweet 16 in Kansas City, it was North Carolina State, obviously, Iowa State, Kansas, and Michigan State, wow. Scott Skiles. Well, Iowa State had, had played Michigan State earlier that season, beat them in overtime in Ames, 
a terrific game, a great a great matchup between Scott Skiles and Jeff Hornacek in that game. Hornacek makes a winning pass at the end. But you go down to Kansas City, and Iowa State had just played there two weeks prior, you know, in the old Big A tournament, and lost to Kansas by two in the finals. Uh, but I tell you what, that uh, North Carolina State team was a better team, to be honest, than the one that had won the national championship three years earlier. Mm-hmm. I mean, Shackelford, uh, Chris Washburn, Jeez. Nate McMillan, oh. Vinny Del Negro, Vinny oh. Bolton. I mean, this team was <laughs> unbelievable. I think uh, five NBA guys on that team, and uh, and like three or four first round draft picks over you know over a period of, of two or three years from that team. It was an incredibly talented team, and, and it was a good game. But Iowa State just didn't have the horsepower to match up with Shackelford and, and Nate McMillan was. Uh, I think he's a great coach. But he was a terrific point guard at, you know, one of the first really tall point guards that we saw, you know, in that era. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. And then, and Kansas gets beats NC State gets to the Final Four with a better team, frankly, than won the national championship two years later. So sometimes it's how the how the cards fall and the breaks you get. Eric Heff joining us, carrying us through the segment as we look back at the 85-86 Iowa State team. And in your opinion, Eric, maybe this was the kickstart of what became Iowa State basketball that we know today. Is that fair to say? I, I, you know, I would say probably yes, but at the same time, I think that uh, number one thing when Johnny got here, his first recruit was Ronnie Harris. Yeah. And Ronnie Harris never got to play in the NCAA tournament. He was on that NIT team his senior year. But he set the tone for this program and got it pointed in the right direction. Uh, making the NCAA tournament the next year was great. But as far as putting you on the map on more of a regional plus or a national scene, uh, this was the team that probably did that. So I, I'd say that's probably fair. Hallahan, was he an assistant that year? He was. Figured so, because he was with Johnny a long time. Uh, great stuff, Eric. Thank you for doing this for us uh, as we look back at the 85-86 squad. Appreciate you coming on. I uh, hope you're real busy in the weeks ahead. Oh, I hope we can get together for a lot of football talk coming up. Indeed. How's the golf game, by the way? Uh, playing often. Yeah. And, and, and swinging too often. <laughs> and swinging too often. Getting your money's worth. Thank you, Eric. Appreciate it. All right. It. Good to talk to you. Thank you, Eric Heff, the color analyst for Iowa State. Uh, good to hear from Eric, friend of the program. Yes, uh, always fun conversation and helping us fill in some of our gaps in looking back in time. So I mentioned, got a couple of highlights here. They had restarted to the beginning of each clip that I had, so we were going to play one for Eric, but I didn't have it up in time. Here's the first one, though, and uh, this is against number 5 Oklahoma. Okay. This is a Hilton winning streak that gets up to 14 games with the Sooners in town. Remember these days, Billy Tubbs and they're just great basketball teams of Oklahoma. And as I was going back and getting some of these highlights for this team, one name he didn't mention, Elmer Robinson, a guy that remember a little bit, remember him later in his career when I started watching more basketball, obviously. And a guy that just always felt like he was bigger. He's listed as 6'5". And when I saw that, I'm like, no, nah, Elmer Robinson, he's like 6'9". No, 6'5 is all that he was. Here's a highlight from him just making an incredible defensive play. Grayer has the ball stripped away. Here comes Linwood Davis. One on two. He's got Robinson at Tompkins. Takes it to the hoop. Blocked by Robinson. Elmer Robinson's 10th block of the year to Grayer. His shot. Good. 
That's what turned out to be the game winner, 73-70. They beat Oklahoma. Now, I wonder who was on the call. Do you have any idea what network would have carried that? There was some games that are listed as the Cyclone Television Network. Don't know know. who would have been on the call for those type type of games. But, yeah, the win against Gary Thompson was doing the color. Yes, yeah. Uh, that was a Raycom Big 8 production, at least according to Wikipedia for okay. that one, as they beat number 5 Oklahoma 73-70. We mentioned the NCAA tournament, a couple of big highlights, including one of the biggest is, once again, Jeff Hornacek. Just, isn't it so crazy? I, you think of his shooting stroke in the NBA. Right. That's how pure it was. Yeah. He was a sidewinder. Right, and wouldn't have made an impact on the three if the three-point was in place. Johnny Orr. Couldn't get him to change his shot, mm-hmm. but Cotton Fitzsimmons apparently could when he was with the Phoenix Suns. Here it is as Iowa State advances to the round of 32 with the win against Ron Harper and the Red, well, at the time, the Redskins of Miami University. Mm-hmm. They will inbound right here in front of our microphones. Only thing different between uh, end of regulation is with two seconds, they've got the ball half court rather than down here three-quarter court. Tompkins will inbound. Hornacek is lined up way deep on the baseline. They're looking to get it to him and do. He'll get the shot. It's a good one. What a shot. The cutaway in the Metrodome of all the fans. That sounded like Gary Thompson. Might have been very well, could but have but been. but doing the NCAA tournament for our, with yeah. with Iowa State involved. That sure sounded like it. Him. It really did. So, you know, it it was such a different time too. Their Sweet Sixteen game against NC State wasn't on CBS. It was on ESPN. Wow. I mean, it just shows you, again, how different, how long ago we're talking about there. That won the game winner, though, uh, right at the top of the key. In fact, he did it. Looked like a three. It wasn't because there wasn't a three-point line. No, there wasn't. There wasn't Eric just told us, yeah. Not until the final season, uh, there, the next season that that came into effect across college basketball. Then the game against Michigan and the highlight late in the game. Pete Taylor on the call for this one. Well, inbound here at 64-63. Jeff having trouble. Gets it to Elmer for a breakaway, and he slam dumps it. A two-hand dunk. 66-63. Michigan right back. Ralford up for the shot. No good. Tarpley with a rebound. Lost it. Hornacek with a steal. Out to Elmer Robinson. All the way down court. Layup is blocked. A foul is called. Oh, Elmer was in the action. There's Pete Taylor. There's your guy, Elmer. Yes, Big uh, game for Elmer that time. Uh, I told you when I was day. watching these highlights, he was just all over the place. Yeah, what, a, what a fun team looking back upon. 85-86, Roshan Corporation makes it possible. Trent, uh, tell us about our good friends at Roshan. They could handle uh, big projects, small projects, everything in between. Do a lot of commercial real estate. If you're looking to revamp a business, uh, go in there. They were just telling me when I met with them a couple weeks back that they were working with the company took over what was formerly a nail salon and turning it into a bar. They can do those types of things for you. So if you're looking that, you're looking for renovation, they can help you out. Big projects, they also do a lot in terms of schoolwork. I know they've done a lot of work recently over in Waukee, some of the new schools going up there. Roshan Corporation, presenting sponsor of our memorable teams in state history. This is one of the great memorable teams. Indeed it was. Fun to look back. All right, we'll take a time out, come back, finish up the program. Miller and Condon till noon, 1460 KXNO and 106. All right, welcome back. Final couple of minutes of the program. Speaking of Farmer's Market, NCMIC. 
asked us to promote the local farmer's market, which we do our best to do so. Valley Junction has theirs tonight, historic Valley Junction, from 4 until 8. And for those of you in the Grimes area, uh, Grimes Farmer's Market goes tonight from 4 until 7. Grimes Community Complex, 410 Southeast Main Street in Grimes. All right, I got a, a few more as we look back at 8586. Couple more notes. First of all, I know I've told you this before, but I don't know if you remember. Iowa was also in Minneapolis for that region. I, I do recall that, yes. And if both teams would have advanced to the Sweet 16, mm-hmm. they would have played each other. I just, just Amazing, imagine that. Right. What that would have been like. <laughs> Last Iowa lost to NC State in the first round, who uh, Iowa State ultimately played in the Sweet 16. A, uh, a note from caller Brian, who called in during the break, and he said, Doing those Cyclone games on TV during that time on the Cyclone Television Network, Channel 5, Keith Murphy. In the 80s? In the 80s. Well, uh, later on, on when, when Keith got there, later on. Now, not, yeah, not in the 80s. But he said some of the names, it was Mark Matthews okay. and Jay Randolph. Jay Randolph is a, was yeah. a, a Cardinal and a St. Louis Cardinals for Yes, years. and he did a lot of the... Raycon, Raycon, big game yeah, type yeah, yeah. games, and it also spill over into the the Cyclone Television Network. So that's what this what? was. Now that I, now that you mentioned that in the highlights we played, I think Jay Randolph was part of one okay. of those. Uh, I didn't know about Murph doing those on Channel Five. Of course, I do. That's where he did start before he went mm-hmm. over to thirteen. Interesting, good stuff. A fun look back at eighty five, eighty six. Thank you to Eric Heff. Uh, we will uh, watch today very closely. At least I will for the Washington Football franchise story. Not about their name that is apparently going to drop at some point, and it's going to reverberate, reverberate all the way to Des Moines. So you're just going to be sitting there doing refreshing, your, working out of your other job and netting refresh on Twitter all afternoon long. I know how you're going to well, be. It's another day that ends in Y. <laughs> uh, we'll be back tomorrow at 10. Uh, the uh, Murph and Andy will be in at 2. Fanatics at 4. Morning Rush tomorrow at 6. Thanks for being with us. 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM.